What's up, everybody? Welcome to the All Sooners podcast. It is episode 188. It's Thursday, May 18th. We had to push things back a day. We usually podcast on Wednesday, but today's Thursday because I was in Dallas yesterday talking to your newest quarterback, right? So uh, podcast on Thursday today. Hope you guys enjoy. Anyway, appreciate y'all listening. That's Ryan Chapman. He's in more. I'm John Hoover. I'm in Tulsa. Ryan, my man. Thanks for being on. What's going on in your world today? In a weird way, we we could have probably, if we had organized this better, just met up in Dallas together. Because I started yesterday morning in Dallas, ended back in in Norman and more. You started the morning at, at your humble abode, and we we were probably waving at each other on I thirty five as as passing ships in the night. Oh, you Oklahoma City guys I always forget about Highway 75 to Tulsa. Oh, oh, look at, yeah, look at you go, your little spur, your little special little spur thing. <laughs> a special spur thing that takes four and a half hours. <laughs> I actually made it to, uh, I actually made it to my destination yesterday in about three, little over 3.30, little over three and a half hours and back, a little over three. And if I would stop spending so much time at Bucky's and money at Bucky's, I could make that a little quicker. Uh, listen, folks, we've got some major recruiting news to talk about in the sport of football. Uh, OU adds a couple more Big 12 championships over the weekend. And of course, the quest for a three-peat begins officially tomorrow, Ryan, when uh, OU hosts uh, Hofstra, Missouri, Cal, uh, all these teams coming to Norman. I've heard Patty talk up Mizzou. I've heard her talk up Cal. uh, But realistically, man, what are the odds here? this weekend that OU doesn't win this thing and get to the supers next week. Pretty, pretty low that, that anything other than Oklahoma rolling through as the number one overall seed, they avoided what happened in 2021, which is by weird regional scheduling quirks, Wichita state, who was one of the, the, the top two seeds in the country um, in a regional, at least headed to Norman Oklahoma avoided that. When you look at what Cal and Missouri have both done, they're the two name brands in this regional and pretty much similar story as far as, hey, they did a good job beating up on the bottom to middle tier of the Pac-12 and the SEC. But when it came to to playing kind of the big dogs at the top of the conference, it was either a sweep or maybe they popped up and, and grabbed one game. And like, the, the thing that split Cal from Missouri for me is when they popped up, it was usually emphatic. Like when they were firing, they were a really good team. Uh, they were the ones that that run ruled UCLA early on that that bumped the Bruins from two to three when Oklahoma State spent all that time at two. But other than that, what you're looking for is is each of these schools have a pitcher that has like good strikeout numbers, but they're the whip, the walks, hits uh, for every inning is not great. And when Oklahoma gets runners on, that's how they really apply that pressure. So that should be something that Oklahoma is able to do when you flip it over. Uh, both Cal and Mizzou, they've got a power hitter, but don't really have the the top to bottom kind of lineup to apply the pressure. So as long as Oklahoma comes in and is locked in, John, it should just be the Sooners rolling to a super regional where they could potentially meet up with a Clemson or maybe a familiar face in Auburn that they played twice this year. OU plays Friday, 4 o'clock against Hofstra. Uh, the rest of the schedule, Ryan, it's like noon. Is that right, the second game? Uh, it, it'll it be – let me check it real quick. I have it on my phone. Apologies. I, I uh, haven't memorized those times. But See, we're one of those we're one of those media outlets that doesn't get ahead of ourselves. We, we don't like to project too much that OU is going to sweep through this thing undefeated. So we haven't even looked at – the Saturday, Sunday, I'm kidding. I'm yeah, kidding. so Saturday, if, if Oklahoma beats the mighty pride of Hofstra, uh, Oklahoma will play on 2 p.m. on Saturday. If for whatever reason, um, perhaps hell is frozen over, uh, if Oklahoma loses to Hofstra, they'll play 4.30 on Saturday. Then the elimination game on Saturday night, that second one is at 7.30. So you, what you're probably going to get is 4 p.m. Friday. You're definitely going to get that. 2 p.m. Saturday, and if the Sooners beat either Cal or Mizzou there, they would advance to the regional final on Sunday at 1 p.m. So, Oklahoma, if you'd be so kind, if you could just roll through this thing, no late nights at Marita Hines Field for outside of that, you know, 4 p.m. game. Yeah, that would be uh, that would be on the easy side. Uh, they're matched up 
super regional wise with Clemson, the Clemson regional, uh, which is of course, 16 seed Clemson, Cal state Fullerton, Auburn and UNC Greensboro. I'm predicting Oklahoma hosts a super regional next week. I know that's going out there on a limb, right? Um, Ryan, this, uh, this team has been no, no doubt fun to watch, fun to cover. They make it easy uh, to cover. Really, they do. I, I can't express to you guys enough how easy it is to cover this team, especially when they're holding a nine to nothing lead in the fifth inning. Um, your game story's already done. All you need is a lead and, you know, wrap it up. So we appreciate that, ladies, uh, being able to facilitate softball coverage quickly. But uh, there's some storylines, Ryan, going into the postseason. I was um, I was a little surprised when I heard that OU doesn't have any finalists for the National Player of the Year Award, the USA Softball Player of the Year Award. This is the Jocelyn Allo Memorial Award, of course. Um, Coleman, Ball, and Jennings were on that list of finalists. OU, of course, I don't think anybody else had two, and OU had three finalists. So, you but you dig into the numbers, Ryan, and you start – you, you realize this is an individual award, right? And you start looking at the home run numbers and the RBI numbers and the on-base percentage. There are other players around the country, believe it or not, Sooner fans, there are other players around the country who have put up better numbers than Jada Coleman and Jordy Ball and, and T.R.A. Jennings. It's a, it's it's It just happens. Yeah, it's really interesting because I understand the outrage. You've got the overwhelming dominant force in the sport, only one loss. They avenge that loss. They're riding a 43-game winning streak. I get it. But I liken this to maybe the NBA, right, where how many times has LeBron James won the MVP award, an award for who is having the best season? That conversation is different than – who is the best player in the NBA, which for over a decade, everyone would have defaulted to LeBron James, right? Well, he doesn't have 10 MVP awards. For, for my money, Jada Coleman has been the best player in college softball this year. I, I watch her every single game. What she does both in the field, at the plate, we've talked about the last two years when she moved to that leadoff spot. Her walks are as impactful as a big leadoff double, things like that, the emotion, all of that. But Oklahoma's a victim of their own success. Patty Gasper at the start of the year basically said, um, no one on this team has to be a hero. Oklahoma doesn't need a hero. They are stacked top to bottom. They've got five different players who have hit double-digit home runs. That's just not something that's happening across the country. You flip over Jordy Ball. She has an outstanding ERA, 1.15. That's better than Valerie Cagle, Clemson's representative in in the top three at 1.20. But Cagle's pitched 69 more innings, give, give or take a, a few. That's not Jordy Ball's fault. She's got a staff where Nicole May and Alex Straco are both at 90 innings. Oh, by the way, Alex Straco and Nicole May, there's going to be a freakout. They aren't eligible for All-American honors because they didn't pitch 30% of Oklahoma's innings. They are wow. All-American caliber pitchers. They will not get All-American honors. That's not their fault. That's not anybody's hmm. fault. It, it's just the victim of your own success. So I think when you pack on – the fact that Oklahoma has dominated this award show for the last two years. You talk about the last two years. Jocelyn Owl has been in the player of the year hunt. She's been a finalist. She won it last year. Uh, two years ago, Jada Coleman and Terry Jennings were finalists for freshman player of the year. Terry Jennings won that. Last year, Jordy Ball wins it. There will be no OU freshman represented. It's just a voter fatigue exists. And in the vacuum where everyone else's numbers are better, that all three finalists have more home runs than anyone that Oklahoma has right now it's just one of those things where they are not having the best statistical individual season and that's okay because they want to win a national championship tr jennings said as much so i think valerie cagle is going to win it she's got 18 home runs is batting 450 flips over is like 25 and 3 on the year 1.2 era someone that's doing both like regardless of any oklahoma player was a finalist look at the history of that award if you're a pitcher who also rakes, you win the National Player of the Year because it's so hard. Rachel Garcia won that a bunch. Kalani Ricketts circling back. She's a player that um, really benefited from that. I, I don't think an Oklahoma player would have won, but having three top ten finalists shows you all you need to know about what this team is. This is a – like I said, this is an individual award. 
if you ask me, it's kind of a compliment to Oklahoma that nobody's in that nobody's in the finalists. No OU players are finalists, right? Because you've got a a it's it's an individual award, but this is a team game, and Oklahoma's team numbers are better than everybody else's team numbers. Every one of them, Oklahoma leads the nation in everything, except I I think I told Ryan at one point this year, not base running. They don't lead the nation in base running. That's for fact. If there were such a category, I'm just joking, of course. Um. Ryan, you mentioned uh, the uh, there's no freshman of the year going to win. Uh, no Oklahoma player is going to win freshman of the year this year. But uh, Kirsten Deal maybe might win sophomore of the year next year. She's been impressive the last couple of weeks, um, especially the kind of the stew that, uh, that Patty put her in um, in the Iowa State game, I think, the Big 12 tournament game, where she finished an inning and then she came back for the next inning with the game fairly close, as I recall, uh, not necessarily like in doubt. It wasn't like zero zero or anything like that, but it was still a fairly tight game. She brought Kirsten Deal, Kirsten Deal back, and Deal finished the deal. Uh, she finished strong, and then uh, I think Jordy Ball came in and, and finished the game. But I was sitting there watching on the TV, and and I was like, I looked at my wife said, "Oh, she's bringing her back in." I said, "I don't know about this. You know, a freshman in this situation, Big Twelve semifinal, Hoover." Sit down and shut up. You don't know this team nearly as well as Patty Gasso does. Well, and that's why Patty Gasso left her out there in Stillwater, right? A much more the, the stakes as far as Oklahoma had already wrapped up the Big Twelve championship, all that. So it's not a, a winner go home mm-hmm. elimination game. But we know what the Bedlam series means in the state, right? We we know that those two teams and and that atmosphere in Stillwater, road atmosphere, as opposed to all the the crimson and cream in the stands at Hall of Fame Stadium in the Big Twelves and. And that was really good for Deal because the last time we saw her, John, in that environment, she got the the start at the Hall of Fame Classic against Weber State, and she was the starter that went out there, gave up a, a home run in the first inning, didn't really look comfy at all. Uh, Patty Gasso said she would tell you that it was kind of more of a, a deer-in-the-headlights type of situation. She was yanked after two innings. Well, Patty Gasso's continued to give her an inning here, an inning there, and I think she really loved what she saw in Stillwater because it meant that she would feel comfortable throwing her into that Big 12 tournament environment. She'll feel comfortable giving her innings in regional play. And now your preparation has to go from three to four if you're an opposing team for Oklahoma. You don't have to scout three pitchers. You have to scout four pitchers. And, oh, by the way, Patty Gasso can finally play a little bit of matchup. There's been no righty, lefty uh, you know, maneuvering that chess match because – Jordy Ball, Starocko, Nicole May, all dominant, all righties. Now that gives Patty Gasso an option. I know that uh, when you were at one of the midweek availabilities earlier this year, she had talked about you know this program known for their dominant lefties, and she hasn't had one uh, in a couple of years. So I know that that excites Patty Gasso, but it just shows you after that Iowa State game, um, the Iowa State head coach, Jimmy Pilkington, he, he basically said, look, we had to guess what pitcher Oklahoma was going to throw. We we couldn't spend all the time to prepare for all of Baylor's pitchers and then on a 24-hour turnaround prepare for Oklahoma's entire pitching staff. So they guessed right. They were lucky. They guessed Alex Straco. It didn't matter. Oh, you still shut him out. But yep. that's what opposing teams are having to do in a regional environment. Cal and Missouri, they have to prepare for each other. And then 24 hours later, play Oklahoma, they're having to guess, and now they're going to have another pitcher they have to guess with. And that is just just another tool for Patty Gasso to help try and guide this team through the postseason. Yeah, I'm glad you reminded me of the Bedlam game. It was the Bedlam game that was still close. It was the Bedlam game where the atmosphere was kind of on the line. Uh, that enabled Patty Gasso to bring – Kirsten deal back in for, in a you know, not necessarily a pressure situation. I think the score was seven to nothing, nine to nothing, something like that when she came into the big 12 tournament, but you've got Bedlam and then you've got big 12 tournament. She pitched one in one and a third innings, both times. And uh, she was, you know, perfect in the second game. Uh, perfect in, in both games. I think, I don't think she allowed a hit or, or a walk, uh, but that just goes to show you've got another weapon in the arsenal. Uh, you've got three pitchers who are pitching at an all American level. And then you bring in, you know, National High School Player of the Year, Kirsten Deal, to uh, to be your fourth pitcher. Uh, the rich get richer. It's an embarrassment of riches for Oklahoma. Um, speaking of an embarrassment of riches, how about Haley Lee last week? Holy cow. 
she bet on herself. She hit the transfer portal. She was at A&M and she was, you know, raking at A&M. She comes to Oklahoma and what does she do? She wins the Big 12 tournament MVP and most outstanding player. Unbelievable. Not unpredictable, but certainly unbelievable. Just a a great story for her. Yeah, especially because when we say the word slump, we're grading on a curve with Oklahoma. No one, no one is actually ever slumping except for maybe Sydney Sanders. Sydney Sanders went through a real slump at the start of the year. Yeah. Haley Lee, for what she's done this year, she was kind of in a little mini slump uh, coming out of that Bedlam series. And so across two games, she was phenomenal. She had another a, a repeat performance. You think the former Aggie turned sooner hates Texas? Well, she's just unleashed two absolute rockets in the two games at Hall of Fame Stadium she's played against the Horns. And yeah, it, it just shows you that she's someone that we talked about a little bit last week, not for her offense, but by the fact that Kinsey Hansen took that ball on her hand. Haley Lee had to come in and catch for the Sooners in game two and game three of Bedlam. And, and she was throwing people out, trying to steal on her, things like that. Stuff that's usually reserved for Kinsey Hansen. That's why she catches every single day. She filled that role perfectly. And then slide back into the DP slot this weekend, really, or this past weekend, really got it going. And for her, she talked about that was a cool thing for her because she was never played the Big 12 tournament, didn't really know what to expect at Hall of Fame, stepping up to the postseason. And to have that weekend now rolling into regionals where she's been in the Norman Regional the last two years, just wearing maroon instead of crimson, now she'll have the fans at her back and the rest of that lineup at her back again. This team, what Patty Gasso always talks about is these win streaks don't matter if you're not peaking at the right time, if you're not playing your best softball in May, your best softball in June. Overall, a really clean two games at the Big 12s and, and a player like Haley Lee finding her form again, that, that's what Patty Gasso does to, to get the most out of this team year after year. Uh, Hope Troutwine last year was fantastic in the postseason. Um, Nicole May was pretty good. Jordy Ball was injured. Ryan, how much does having Jordy, having that third pitcher and not just a third pitcher, but having Jordy Ball, how much does that change the dynamic for this team, for this rotation, for Jen Rocha? Yeah, it it's huge because Oklahoma was perfect in the Norman Regional, perfect in Supers, hadn't really lost a game at the World Series until that semifinal, not really a do-or-die game for Oklahoma against UCLA. All of that was without their best pitcher, and Jordy Ball – her, that first month of the year, she was never bad, but we were waiting for her to be that Jordy Ball that we saw during the regular season last year. She's there. She's been there for a month and a half, two months. Yeah. And you could just tell she wasn't asked directly about it, uh, about her performing, but just preparations for regionals, things like that. And she lit up. And Jordy's a, she's a, I'd classify as like a happy athlete, a fun athlete to interview, but you could tell there was a little extra smile a little extra oomph energy when she was talking about preparing for regional play this year. And and Patty Gasso talked about that yesterday. She's like, that was crushing for her because you prepare not to come play at Oklahoma to, to play against Baylor and Norman in April. You come to play in regionals in super regionals. You come to get that call for the women's college world series and roll out there. And while Jordy was able to pitch in the championship series, it wasn't Jordy, right? And it was not what she expected, the role she had expected. So she's back, ready, firing. And if nothing else, Oklahoma has their best pitcher. They did it with one hand tied behind their back last year. They are fully healthy rolling into the postseason this year, which is scary considering that the staff is deeper, the lineup is deeper. Oh, by the way, they're healthier too at this point than they were last year. It's just incredible that pitching rotation, the numbers that they put up. The if you look at the team ERA, their their team ERA is half half of what the number two team in the nation is. That's how much better than everybody that they've been this year. It's it's just phenomenal. Uh, Oklahoma has done it. We know raking, hitting home runs, hitting bombs. They're doing it now with pitching and defense, uh, and still hitting a lot of bombs. So unbelievable team. Uh, we'll talk more about them in the coming podcast. I'll tell you what, coming up, we got a ton of recruiting news to get to, football recruiting, including the latest commitment for OU football. Yeah, they actually picked up a commit this week, and he's in the 2023 class. What? Yeah. Uh, Plus, what? It's the offseason, right? That means we're going to pull apart all the lists that we can find. We love lists at All Sooners, including the top quarterbacks in the country and 
Somebody's ranking the head coaches because it's the offseason. That's what we do. All that's next on the All Sooners podcast. On Twitter, you can give us a follow at all underscore Sooners. I'm at John E. Hoover. Ryan, of course, is at underscore Ryan Chapman. Our website is allsooners.com. We are a Fan Nation affiliate, part of the Sports Illustrated Network. Remember, All Sooners is all free. No memberships, no signups, no usernames, no emails, no passwords, no credit cards. There are options to sign up for exclusive content on the Sports Illustrated Network. But if you're just keeping up with all things Sooners, All Sooners is all free. Uh, Segment two on this here podcast. Tom Fornelli for CBS Sports is, uh, is, is a ranking dude. He is producing content for podcasts all across the country, and we appreciate it, Tom. He put out a list this week. Uh, CBS Sports put out a list this week of uh, the top quarterbacks in the country. Do, would you Would you like me to name the top ten quarterbacks in the country according to CBS Sports, Ryan? Uh, is the top quarterback residing in Los Angeles soon to be moving to Las Vegas in a year? Uh, he might stick with the Rams. You don't think the Rams uh, have a, the ability to uh, to tank? And tank for Caleb this year? Not with Stetson Bennett in tow. <laughs> it's <laughs> over. They're going back to the playoffs. Uh, boy, what a pick that was. I had just told my wife. She she was asking the day before, by the way, we're talking about the Rams draft. And she said, uh, so what do you think Stetson Bennett's going to go? And I go, he won't get drafted. And the next right. morning, she's like getting her pedicure, right? And she texts me and she's just like, LO, 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 LO. I said, I deserve that. I deserve yeah. that. You shouldn't have said anything. Shouldn't have said anything. No response. <laughs> just ignore the wife at the risk of my team drafting Stetson Bennett. He'll be fine. Suddenly, I'm a big Stetson Bennett stand. Uh, <laughs> I'll tell you. Uh, okay, so here's your top 10 quarterbacks in college football for 2023 Caleb Williams. Defending Heisman Trophy winner. Uh, Drake May, North Carolina. Number two. Number three. Quinn Ewers, Texas. What? Run that back? I'm not sure I heard that right. Tom must have only watched the Red River (laughs) shootout and not anything that happened after that. Floating them perfect passes up to wide open receivers uh, with no pressure on him. Um, Number four, Michael Penix, Washington. Number five, Sam Hartman, Notre Dame. Number six, uh, Bo Nix, Oregon. And uh, number seven is J.J. McCarthy at Michigan. Number eight, we saw him last late December, Jordan Travis from Florida State. Number nine, we saw him in 2021, badass dude, Michael Pratt from Tulane. And then number 10 is Jalen Daniels from LSU. Honorable mentions, K.J. Jefferson, Arkansas, Joe Milton, Tennessee, Curtis Rourke, Ohio. Uh, Cade Klubnick, I'm impressed by the restraint on Cade Klubnick. You know, you would think that, oh, this is the next guy. But a little restraint. And uh, at the top of the list of honorable mentions as the top quarterbacks in the country, Ryan, is one Dylan Gabriel. You think there's a motivation here? You think he's a little got a fire lit under him for this? I don't think we've ever seen, well, outside of the Cheez-It Bowl, I don't think we've ever seen Dylan Gabriel with any kind of fire, anything like that. He's just, he's the Iceman more than anything. Kind of is. But extra motivation, sure. This is a pretty fair placement of Dylan Gabriel. Uh, I work every day with with Chisholm Holland over at the franchise, and he, he says that basically Dylan Gabriel is not as good as people had hoped before the season was not as bad as you remember. And, yeah. and I totally agree with, with that assessment of Dylan Gabriel's play. Not a guy that I, I think belongs in that top 10, though we can reorganize and finagle, and then I will stand on a table for our friend down in Baton Rouge. I think he is way too low. But Dylan Gabriel, that, that's about where he is. And and I think that's what's going to be such a difficult conversation or, or thing for Oklahoma fans is that They've grown accustomed to Heisman caliber quarterbacks. Jackson Arnold has that rating, that five-star top quarterback, won the Elite 11 finals. That's all the pedigree, all the makings of a guy that could develop and and be a Heisman caliber quarterback. Dylan Gabriel's not that guy. He's not that ceiling, pretty high floor. It's just a, you know it, right? Three to four passes a game. You just hope they're on first and second down and and incompletions as opposed to third and fourth down or picks. And so it, it'll be interesting to see how Oklahoma 
navigates this pressure because I, I don't think it was ever as bad just visually as when Spencer Rattler's offense was not moving. Um, the the yeah. numbers are pretty similar if you look at completion percentage, stuff like that with Spencer Rattler. But just visually, I test the offense moved better. It was just times when it sputtered. Remember with Spencer Rattler, Oklahoma was in the teens against Nebraska and West Virginia, and that's when it had boiled over. It'll just be interesting to see how that plays out because Gabriel's not a top 10 guy. He's not a coming into the year, and he's certainly not a top three like Heisman finalist, and I don't see any spot where that's going to happen. I think Dylan is probably – I think he's got a lot to prove, and I don't think he's one of those guys that's going to sit around and go, oh, yeah, you don't think I'm on the top 10? I'll go – I'm going to work harder. I'm going to show you guys. He's just not that way. He's, gonna, he's not going to work any harder than he already works. Because, you know, uh, CBS Sports said that he's not in the top 10. I don't think this like lights a fire under him. I don't think this motivates him. But I think it's, I think it goes in the, he's not doing the Baker Mayfield thing where he's like writing down the top 10 guys on the, on the wall of his locker, right? He's not doing that. Um, But he's, I think he goes into this season looking at his results last year, looking at some of his throws last year, some of his very important throws last year. And I think he looks at that takes it into the big picture, looks at this maybe list of 10, probably gives a little chuckle and then says, let's go back to work. I've got work to do. I've got, uh, I've got, uh, uh, parties, not, not parties, um, bonding experiences with my offensive line to host, right? Retreats. Retreats. Thank you. That's the word. Yeah. It's, it's basically a two day party. He's going to host a, a, a two-day re- uh, retreat, bonding party, whatever you want to call it. Um, he's got some stuff to do. He's got some work to do. He knows as much as anybody. He looks at his film with a hypercritical eye with his coach, his position coach, standing right next to him. He knows what he needs to do better. He's not going into this thinking, man, I should be in the top 10. No, he's looking at this going, they're probably right. I need to be better, and here's how I can be better. Yeah, it'll be interesting just to see how he attacks that because we heard so much about just situational football, all of that through the spring. There also just weren't a ton of moments where, regardless if it was third and long or whatever, like we didn't see a ton of, hey, it's first and 10 and Dylan Gabriel has this wow throw that instead of just slowly moving down the field, it totally busts open a drive and you're suddenly in the red zone. That was, again, the bar, and it's probably not what he should be compared to, but that's what Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray and Jalen Hurts did. They, they, in first down moments, suddenly it's a touchdown from 50 yards out. On third downs, they were clutch, stuff like that. And I think that Oklahoma would just take, hey, can we be better in third down? Can we find a way to convert third and five or longer? Because the Sooners were okay-ish in third down conversions. The second you talked about fourth downs, they dropped to the 100s in the country on, on just fourth down conversion percentage. And it, it just felt like when the moment was big, when it was big spotlight, there were not many times last year the Oklahoma quarterback rose, met that, and conquered that moment. Yeah, and I think he would agree with that. And I think he would probably say that's going to that's gonna motivate me a lot more than, than somebody's list. So good for him. Uh, somebody that might be motivated – by CBS Sports' latest list. I think it came out either last night or this morning. Uh, top head coaches in college football. Brent Venables is not in the top 50. 50. Not in the top 50. Now, he doesn't belong in the top 50. He's not d- doesn't deserve it. His first year out, you know, the program runs sideways, takes starts taking on water. They're six and seven. He doesn't deserve to be in the top 50. But I'm just saying... He's going to get motivated. He's somebody who's going to look at this list. This is my guess. I'm projecting here. He's going to look at this list and say, okay, all right, cool. Let's see. I'll show you. Um, there's some names on this list that are ahead of him that you would say, what has that guy ever done? Uh, Venables, at least, you got to admit, his work, his resume as a defensive coordinator is impeccable. So. Head coach, sure. Number 52 in the nation. 52. That's not great. I think it's probably about right. But again, some of the names on this list are ahead of him. And you're just like, uh, I don't understand that one. Same with, with Quinn Ewers. There's there's a body of work that Quinn Ewers doesn't have yet. 
there's a body of work that some of these guys that are ahead of Venables doesn't have yet. And I understand you, it's a list. You got to put your content out. I'm not sitting here knocking it or whatever, but he's behind. Um, I'll just give you some familiar names, Ryan. Dana Holgerson is number 48. Okay. Joey McGuire at Texas Tech is number 46. Neil Brown is, uh, I think Neil Brown was 59. Uh, Big 12 coach Kalani Sataki, doesn't that sound weird, <laughs> is at 41. Former Sooner Shane Beamer is at 40. And uh, our man Sark is at 37. Dan Lanning at Oregon's at 36 after a you know, fairly successful first season, right? Uh, Matt Campbell, your favorite sideline uh, animated dude, is uh, 35. Gus Malzahn is at 34. Dave Aranda at Baylor is at 28. Nebraska coach Matt Rule, that sounds weird, 27. Uh, Lance Leipold, 23. Mac Brown, who has a national championship in his pocket and has done it now at three, done it at a high level at three different programs. Mac Brown's at 22. And I love this. Jimbo Fisher is at 20. Okay. It's uh, it's hard to drop somebody with a ring, I guess. Uh, Mac's got a ring, too. That's what I'm saying. I don't, yeah. Maybe more recent Jimbo's is, but boy, oh boy, I don't know. Jim, I don't, I don't like Jimbo in the top twenty there. Uh, Mike Gundy, seventeen. Josh Heupel, suddenly the bell of the ball at sixteen. Uh, Chris Kleiman, who might be the best coach football wise in the Big Twelve. Chris Kleiman is number twelve, and one uh, Lincoln Riley, number four nationally. The top three, of course, we know those guys: Dabo, Kirby. And Saban in that order: three, two, one. Dabo, Kirby, and Saban. What do you think about that list? Yeah, the list is interesting. I think Venable's placement on it, being at fifty-two, you said, yeah, yeah. Uh, that is baking in his performance as a defensive coordinator <laughs> for all these years. You think he's like in the nineties if you take that part out? Huh? Well, if you go six and seven at Oklahoma, how bad are you? Like, it's, and so that, rough, that's that's the thing. The roster step. not. Very similar to the Dylan Gabriel conversation. The roster was, yes, there were transfers, stuff like that. It's still Oklahoma. There, There's no reason to go 6-7 and seven in a Big 12 that was just fine last year, right? Yeah. Like, it was just – we saw TC was no juggernaut. Really good team, great team, great coaching, all that stuff. The second they played a high-caliber, this is what it looks like to win a national championship, it was what? 50 points plus to, to go on the field against Georgia. I didn't think that Michigan was anything special playoff team. Yeah, but that was a shootout back and forth. They play that game 10 times. TCU probably wins six of them, stuff like that. Right. So I, I think that's fair, but I also think that Brett TCU, would, TCU won a bunch of close games. Yeah. Oklahoma yeah. lost every close game. Yeah. And, and I think that Brett Venables too would, we heard this at various points last year of like the, our job is to analyze and write and it's a results-based business. And because they're not winning games, that's why this is being written. Things like that. It, it would quickly turn around to if they had won all those close games, guess what the storyline would be? Coaching is the difference in these games. Look at how Brent Venables, but like the game management sucked. West Virginia was a disaster. Um, Oklahoma state in a win was a game management disaster. Lubbock was you were up how much, how fast, and suddenly you're you're having to come from behind in the fourth quarter. That's a disaster against, again, those are three talentless teams. Uh, West Virginia, Oklahoma State, T- uh, Texas Tech, on the scale of college football, what they're going to be going into in the SEC, it's totally fine. But that's also what you get. Brent Middles had no backstop, right? He hadn't had a decade of this is what it looks like as the head coach so that when you have one bad year, when you're having those conversations about like, we're not dumbing down the defense because this is what they have to run. Okay. If Brett Wills is a 10 year head coach and he has one bad year because he's not dumbing down the defense and then it bounces back up the next year, no one's going to write that off as anything other than one bad year. Right. And so in year one, that's why I think he's at 52, the recruiting and, and his tenure as defensive coordinator, because we talked about it a ton. That was the first losing season Brent Middles has ever been a part of at yep. any point as a coach. It just happened to be his first year as a head coach. So it doesn't mean he can't bounce back. Doesn't mean that in 10 years he can't be 
at the top of this list, like, uh, you know, the top 10, top five, stuff like that. But in year one, it was a massive failure. Going six and seven at Oklahoma is a failure, whether you're year one, year 10, anything like that. Yeah, he, uh, 52 is probably generous, big picture. Um, Oklahoma hadn't had a losing season in forever, the lifetime of any of these student athletes that they're coaching. <laughs> so something to think about. Uh, coming up next, I mentioned that OU added a commitment this week, so uh, we'll tell you about it coming up next. Uh, plus, I was on a little recruiting trip myself yesterday, sort of, uh, covering recruiting. I don't recruit. Somebody asked me, it's hilarious, Ryan. Uh, somebody asked me recently, oh, do you recruit for OU? I'm like, uh, no, <laughs> that's not my job description. Do they pay? Cause I, I, I could, uh, it was a, it was an awkward, uh, it was an awkward moment trying to explain what I do. So you recruit for it. No, I don't. Is, is that the first time you've ever been confused for something <laughs> that, that is a, a positive? I know that people all the time are like, John Hoover hates Oklahoma, which is also not true, but that's the more popular line that we get. I don't, we don't often get the other one over at all Sooners. Yeah. And also this is a Rams hat, not a Sooners hat. We don't wear Sooners hats uh, on this broadcast, on this fine, fine podcast radio program. It's against the rules, people. You figure out the uh, whole journalistic integrity thing. Uh, it's tough. It's tough to keep up with. But anyway, uh, I finally got some time yesterday with one Michael Hawkins. Finally. Cool kid. I will give you a full report coming up next. Plus, there's a major commitment coming up this weekend. Uh, we're going to dive into that. And, of course, we're going to hit on some other sports as well. That's next on the All Sooners podcast. Final segment of the All Sooners podcast. Uh, I want to let you guys know, if you feel like it, Pause the podcast right here for just a second. Don't drop us. Just pause it and send us a rating. Hit the little rating thing. If you like the podcast, please make it a five-star rating. Those really help us out a lot. Uh, after the show, if you would please like us and share us on social media, it, it, that helps as well. Get the word out. And if you're watching on YouTube at John Hoover Media, please like, subscribe. Uh, what did I say, Ryan? Mash that like button. Smash um, it, baby. Smash that, smash like, that button. like button. That's right. And of course, leave us a comment. Um, I had to block a couple of commenters because they just wouldn't stop being so negative. So uh, we can take a little criticism. We can take a little negativity. But if all you do is troll us, I will block you. So anyway, leave us a comment. We enjoy it. We enjoy the feedback. Um, seg segment three here, Ryan, is uh, going to be heavy on recruiting Let's start at the top, which is earlier in the week, Oklahoma landed another 2023. The class of 2023, chosen 23, has gotten bigger and better uh, with a junior college recruit, Lane Jenkins, six foot six, 255 pound edge rusher. Now he played tight end in high school. So my first thought was, they're going to move him to tight end. They, you know, they look at the tight end position. They might need some help there. I just wrote, Ryan, I just wrote a story. I mean, it was done and it was ready to publish about the wealth of riches that Oklahoma has on the defensive line, specifically at defensive end this year. And then this news happened, Lane Jenkins commits, and I'm like, I think I'll hold that story for tomorrow. And I did. I flipped it around, turned it the next morning with the news of his uh, arrival. I'm telling you, um, if there's one position that Oklahoma is loaded at, we've talked about defensive back, but those guys have a lot to prove. We've talked about defensive end. Some of those guys have a lot to prove. Some of those guys have a lot to prove at Oklahoma. This is a curious um, signing commitment, I guess. And we talked about it during the break. Maybe they're just kind of angling for 2024 and beyond because 2023, this team looks loaded at defensive end. Yeah. And we had talked about them being so aggressive with defensive end numbers and you feel a lot better about it. We talked about that coming out of the spring game. That was a group that really showed out. I've got really no concerns other than stay healthy, you know, at that group. But when you look at it, Bothroyd coming in from Wake Forest, Rondell Bothroyd, Ford, Trace Ford coming over from Oklahoma State. Those guys are not going to be with the program, right, the, the years following just because they're one-year rentals, right, coming in use that last year of eligibility. And so this might be a, a way for Oklahoma to come in and say, okay, we, we got some bodies in the 2023 class. You feel really excited about out of the high school ranks. And when you look at him, the measurables, you, you just look at him and, and how he moves in space makes a ton of sense that that's a guy that you could see 
Brent Venables, Miguel Chavis flipping on the film and saying, look at how fluid an athlete they are. We want that guy in our room. But I, I would be really stunned if it's anything other than, hey, come in, another body along in that group in 2024 and beyond. Yeah. That's where that impact will be made. But yeah, this is a big shock. I mean, shoot. I had stepped out of the office on Monday and Tuesday because we, we were looking at the calendar, thought, hey, there was a little break where I could sneak down to Dallas to hang with the family, watch the Braves play. And I was like, hey, it shouldn't be a massive recruiting thing. So, like, it should be a quiet two days it for Hooper to be by himself. It was not a quiet two days. It was not a quiet Tuesday for John Hooper. Yeah, it was uh, It was busy. Uh, he comes from Butler County College. Um, he had offers, recent offers, uh, out of junior college. He played played one year at Butler. Um, he was a freshman. He didn't have big numbers. He had like eight tackles and two sacks or something like that. Uh, maybe two tackles for loss. I can't remember. But he's just you know kind of a he was just kind of a numbers guy there at uh, Butler County. He comes out and he gets offers from Indiana, Iowa State, and Kansas. He's on a visit this past weekend to Oklahoma. Okay. He visits OU. They offer him on his visit and he commits. He commits there and then announces it a couple days later. So uh, he's not one of those guys that when you look at his recruiting profile, like three star, four star, five star, how about zero star? How about he slipped through the cracks for one reason or another? And like, like I've said before, every junior college recruit has his own story. I can't wait to find out what Lane Jenkins. Um, recruiting story, JUCO story is, why he went to JUCO, why he was only there one year, why he wasn't a high-profile recruit. We'll see if we can find some more on that, uh, get in touch with him, have him give us some feedback on his story. Uh, but it was a, a late scholarship offer. He jumped all over it. Smart move, if you ask me. I mean, like I said, Iowa State, Kansas, Indiana were his other offers, and he got one from OU, and he's like, I want that one. I want that one right there. So, like I said, smart move. Um, well, well, and how much he's going to play, like yeah, twenty four, like Ryan, or twenty twenty three, like Ryan said, they're they're pretty loaded and they've got a couple of one year guys. Um, but we'll see. I think it's pretty interesting too. Go back to that conversation of the coaching rankings last segment, things like that, where we we know Brent Venables. It's nothing that you have to tell him. He will be the first to tell you last year was not acceptable. And you've seen. He, you know, sat down with Ari Washman of the Athletic, and and he he had been like, yeah, you don't have to tell me where Brent Venables, what him putting a name on a defense, whether no matter what school it is, that was unacceptable, but certainly not at a place like Oklahoma. And I think it's been really interesting that when you look at the scholarship chart, you might sit here and go, uh, by my count, Oklahoma's a little over. And they continue to be aggressive, and if they see guys they like, they're going to bring them in. They're going to find a way to make it work. And so I think that's really interesting. It's not – desperation's not the right word. It's just aggressive. That Brent Venables is even more aggressive building his second roster at Oklahoma. And I find that to be just very interesting, even if I'm not game planning for, for Jenkins to come in and be a contributor in 2023 – I just think it's a, a fascinating mindset because we haven't seen Brent Venable. There, there, he hasn't been a head coach long enough to see any kind of evolution arc. It's all kind yeah. of building as you go. Building a roster is good, right? Building, being patient and pragmatic and, and putting pieces in place for later, like chess pieces almost. And we're going to use that one later. We're going to set this one up for now. But it's the era of the transfer portal and you need immediate impact guys. I mean, building and depth and all that stuff, Fantastic. Don't know if it's going to work the same way that it's always worked because of the transfer portal. The transfer portals changed the dynamic. I asked Lincoln Riley about that a couple of times, and he said, yeah, this is almost to the effect of this is not what I signed up for. Roster management. You know, you sign a kid, you get him in here for four years, you put him on this level, you put him in the 23s, the 24s, the 25. Um, coaches these days are figuring out new ways of, of doing their business. And part of that, one of those ways, one of those things, the techniques that they're having to figure out is how to manage the transfer portal. How do I keep this kid who's a JUCO played last year as a freshman at a junior college. Now he's a JUCO transfer. He's coming to Oklahoma because he probably wants to play football. Uh, if he doesn't play football because there's two 50 or seniors coming in from the portal who are one-year guys, is he going to get disgruntled and leave? It's just, it's crazy, man. It's, it's something that coaches have to think about as they uh, as they move forward in their careers. Like I said, I've had several coaches tell me this is not what I signed up for. So, And uh, the NIL thing is obviously clouding things a little bit for coaches as well. 
um, talking with Sam Mays on my show last fall. And he's like, I don't feel sorry for these millionaire coaches. (laughs) (laughs) This is what they get paid for. It's a good point. It's a good point. Um, So I talked to uh, Michael Hawkins yesterday, the 2024 quarterback who has committed to OU. Um, Talked to his dad as well. Talked to Mike Hawkins. Mike still looks like he can play. Mike Hawkins, um, he walked up and I was like, that's Mike Hawkins. You know, you just knew coming out. That's a former Sooner defensive back, a former Bob Stoops defensive back, former Brent Venables defensive back. And we had a conversation about OU and the, the, the program and his days there. We had a conversation about being a, a recruit dad now. He's the dad of a recruit. Uh, he's just telling me how proud he is, uh, immeasurably proud that, uh, you know, he's got one son who's a quarterback who has committed to Oklahoma and another one who's a defensive back who may eventually commit to Oklahoma or somewhere else. He's he's super high on the recruiting process as well. Uh, that's Malik Hawkins we're talking about. But Michael um, got a chance to talk to him after the game. So it was Frisco Emerson, right? He played previously at Allen, transferred to Frisco Emerson, Emerson High School in Frisco, Texas. It's a brand new school. This is their second year of varsity football. He comes in and is like, that's where I want to play. Ryan, I here's my assessment of the scrimmage. He wasn't allowed to do much. He was wearing a red no-contact jersey. He threw a bunch of uh, dump-offs and screen passes. He tried to run it once. I mean, he scrambled around a couple times, but he tried to run it once, like a little read option. Made a move. That was just like, whoa. I mean, an impressively athletic Division One OU football quarterback type move. Put his foot in the ground, made a juke, juked a guy, blew it dead, three-yard run. I was like, <laughs> in a game, that would have been a touchdown. That was very impressive. But that's what you do in a spring scrimmage. Um, it was uh, He wasn't allowed to do much, and they're still acquiring talent, building talent, developing talent. So uh, it's going to be interesting to watch him play his senior year at Emerson. It'll be really cool just because we there's two ways you can kind of look at, at things. Sometimes you want a like a Jack Snarl situation where he's at one of the powers in Denton and you can just easily see, okay, he's playing. That's a D1 guy. That's D1 guy. That's D1 guy. Yep. He's running an offense with that that he should be able to maximize those tools. And that worked out really well. For Hawkins, I'm very fascinated to see, okay, he's not going to have a ton to work with comparatively to, to some of the other spots that uh, we we generally are watching recruiting from. I'm really excited what this season's going to look like for him uh, as a senior. He'll have that confidence. He'll have that peace of mind knowing I'm committed. I've got my spot sorted. I don't have to worry about that. I can just enjoy my, my senior year of football. So I'm kind of excited to see what that looks like. So I think we're going to get to see a lot of that element you're talking about, John, of being able to create a little bit for himself, which should make for something really fun. And, and you get to kind of see, hey, if that team comes together, you know that that's going to be on the back of him coming in and help shape in that locker room. So that if they're not great, I don't think that's an indictment on his leadership ability, but if, they, if they're if they able to meld and mold and gel, that's just exactly what you'd want to look for in a guy that can come in and be like, I- I've done this here. Now I'm starting with something fresh. Let's build something here in my last year. I'm really fascinated what this year is going to look like for him and how that's going to translate to coming into Oklahoma where he could potentially be sat behind a Jackson Arnold. Yeah, it is going to be interesting. I talked to Kendall Miller, the head coach there at Emerson before the game and asked him uh, how many D1s you got, you know, because, you know, I'm watching him warm up, right? And I'm like, I don't know. You see the scrimmage, you see the game, and you're like, okay, there's one, there's one, there's one. He said maybe five or six. Um, I said uh, after the scrimmage, I had identified those. You know what I mean? Like you just said, they jump out at a place like Emerson. You go across town to Allen, you might have 11, 12, 15, and they all, I mean, everybody looks like a Division One prospect. So um, that's just, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be a challenge for him. I'll say that. It's going to be a challenge for him and his brother. His brother's really good. His brother laid some laid some lumber on some people yesterday. Uh, sees a play, and you're talking about a scrimmage, so you know what the offense is doing pretty much. But you see a play, and you react to it, and you get there before 
you're supposed to get you, you get there so quickly that the offense has no chance. That's what Malik Hawkins is. He's uh, instantaneous. He reminds me a little bit of Peyton Bowen, only he's bigger. Um, maybe not as thick as Peyton Bowen, certainly not right now, but uh, just taller, more rangy. Um, fun, fun day watching some scrimmage, uh, high school scrimmage action yesterday. Uh, Going to be back in that part of the country on Saturday because that's when Zadavian Sims is committing. Uh, understand there's a strong, strong chance, obviously one of the top defensive tackles in the country, uh, he's going to commit to OU. That's what we're presuming at this point. However, Oregon has entered the chat, right? He was uh, he was flirting with Michigan State pretty heavily there for a little while. I was told yesterday it's down to UO or OU. Um, the, the big question here, Ryan, is he the first defensive tackle domino to fall for Oklahoma? You've got David Stone out there. you got Williams Winarian out there. you got Nigel Smith, one or two other guys. Zadavian Sims is on Saturday. He will announce his commitment on Saturday down there at C4 Sports in Durant. We'll be there to cover it um, and talk to him, get reaction afterwards. So stick around with all Sooners. But um, is he the first D-line tackle, defensive tackle, um, what am I trying to say? Domino, the defensive line domino to fall in this class. Because if he is, it could be one of the best defensive line classes in uh, in a long time at Oklahoma. Yeah, it'll be interesting because this is a, a position where Oklahoma could truly stack guys as opposed to like with a quarterback. When we talk about dominoes falling, it's usually, okay, this guy's at that school, which means the next guy that recruits has one less school to choose from uh, and all that stuff. It absolutely could for Oklahoma. And, and if you're able to stack uh, we talked about it last week, right? David Stone, Sims, Nwari, uh, you you're starting to build what you had hoped maybe last year's class at one point could have looked like it still ended up really, really well. But that's what you need to happen sooner rather than later for the SEC to you to be ready to have that depth on the defensive line. Where a, if there's injuries, you can withstand that. But b, not every guy's going to hit. That's why you recruit so many of those guys, right? You, you you have a higher floor the more stars they have beside their name, but also the more of those guys you can stack, the more opportunity you have to say, no, you've got to work if things aren't working out perfectly because you've got so-and-so right behind you that's just as big, just as fast, just as explosive. So it'll be interesting. We get the Dan Lanning special, what he kind of became known for at Georgia, strolling on in, down the stretch and saying, all right, everyone's been grinding, grinding. Now let's put the Godfather offer on the table and see if we can't really swoon you and, and make that happen. So th- this is one of those moments where Saturday we'll have some clarity as far as what the pick is and whether he's putting on a crimson hat or it's highlighter yellow and green. I don't think this is done. So it, it's one of those very important. You always rather have the commitment. And especially if it's an Oklahoma commitment, you know that that means visit should be done, right? Which makes it that much harder to, to really sway, but uh, this John does not feel over either way, especially knowing we know Brent Venables and, and that staff, if they like you, they're going to keep after it, a la Peyton Bowen. We know Dan Lanning is going to keep after it. So uh, th- this is the first blow in, in this fight, and it'll just be interesting of, okay, if it is Oklahoma, can they hold on? If it flips to Oregon for what kind of the the way things had been trending for such a long time, how much weight is Oklahoma throwing around to try and flip that back around their way by December? Yeah, I think you said the the three uh, magic words there. You said SEC. Um, Oklahoma is going to be going to the SEC next year, and they're going to need some guys that look like SEC defensive linemen. And those guys that I named, those four guys I named, uh, Sims, Stone, Winery, and, and Nigel Smith, uh, look, they all look and play like SEC defensive linemen. You look at their offer list, you'll see LSU, you'll see Alabama, you'll see Florida, you'll see Georgia, you'll see uh, you know, Clemson. Um, Texas certainly has offered most of these guys as well. Those are those are the guys that you're going up against. You're not going up against Kansas State anymore. You're not going up against uh, Texas Tech anymore. You're going up against those big dogs from the SEC, and these are the kind of players that you're going to need moving forward, if this is going to be a successful transition at any level for Oklahoma, you're going to need players on the defensive line. Switzer told me way back in 2010, we don't have that Tommy Smith. We don't have that, that uh, Gerald McCoy. Guess what? It's 2023 now. 
They still don't have that Tommy Smith. They still don't have that Gerald McCoy, that Leroy Selman. Yeah, it, it'll be interesting. And uh, I wonder, Gerald McCoy has been hard on the David Stone case. Do, does Gerald McCoy expand his his uh, unofficial capacity on Twitter.com to uh, rope in a few other of these guys? Or does he just stay on, on the stone? Because, uh, yeah, Oklahoma... You know what makes things a lot easier when you've got lo- young linebackers behind you or something like that? A Tommy Harris or yeah. a Gerald McCoy. Th- those yeah. guys. You know what makes Peyton Bowen's job a lot easier on the back end? If Gerald McCoy is plastering the quarterback and flattening him as the ball's coming out of his hand and he's tracking a dead duck as opposed to a dart. That yeah. that All those things help. DBs look a lot better when there are like tombstones in the backfield that the, that the defensive lineman has uh, has erected to the in memory of the quarterback. <laughs> exactly. Just ask Brock Purdy. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, finish up with uh, some baseball and some golf. How about this? Baseball is finishing the regular season this week with Bedlam. Bedlam. Now this stat this blew my mind. Okay, let's go over the records real quick. OU's twenty nine and twenty two overall. Uh, Ten and eleven in conference play. OSU, number 18 in the country, 35 and 15, 13 and 8 in conference play. One team is seventh in the Big 12 standings. That's Oklahoma. One team is second in the Big 12 standings. This is, on paper, a mismatch. Um, OSU has won three straight in this series, including 19 to 8 earlier this year in Stillwater. Games are 6.30 p.m. Thursday and Friday and 4 p.m. Saturday. So if you want to get out to Bedlam, you want to watch some Bedlam baseball, get out to uh, to Eldale Mitchell. Now, here's the deal, Ryan. This is the first Bedlam series entirely in Norman, Oklahoma, since 1982. That was my first summer in the state of Oklahoma. Uh, holy cow, that's a long time. I was I was thinking about that. I was like, wonder what – I don't think I ever remember covering – no, because the Bedlam series has always been at the Pro Parks. Drillers and, and – uh, 89ers, Red Hawks, you know, Dodgers now, right? So um, it's just going to be interesting that, uh, that that this has not happened three games in Norman since 1982. What is that, Ryan? 41 years? Yeah, it's up there. I was negative a lot in 1982. <laughs> I, I, As my I son says, you were dead. Yeah, I, I was. I was You're very, obviously very... not alive. So the alternative is you were dead. Yeah, I was very not here. Very not here. <laughs> so, and this this will be big stakes too, just because it's not the run in that Oklahoma had last year to catch fire. But earlier this week, I can't remember if it was D one baseball or Baseball America. Sorry, they they all kind of glob yeah. together when it's projections. But they had Oklahoma projected as the number three team in LSU's regional. So they had Oklahoma in the field there and. I think you saw a little RPI gymnastics, frankly, with the, the midweek game getting scrapped. Uh, protect that RPI. If mm-hmm. the Sooners could find a way to dig deep and win this series, they're in, baby. Like They don't have to go down to Arlington. They don't have to win a game or two to really feel good about life, probably. Um, even if you get one here, then you go win one in Arlington, you probably feel okay. It's a little sweat on selection day but that's where it becomes a yes you want to go out you want to win the bedlam series all that stuff but you got to start with one game see if you can find some stability in the bullpen for two because that they they got roughed up when they took their trip to o'brien we'll finish up with some golf big 12 champs oh you added another trophy to the trophy case this week they're back to back big 12 champs um ryan hibble's done an unbelievable job building this program into such a uh just a powerhouse. Uh, they hosted the regional last week at Jimmy Austin, finished second behind Alabama. 12th straight national championship appearance under Hibble. Um, that's that's really hard to do because there's a lot of schools that play golf and there's a lot of schools that pour a lot of money into golf. So for OU to have that course and for OU to have that kind of result year after year after year, very impressive. OU had a path to win this regional. It's not important. Top five teams go on, move on to the championship, but they had a path to win the regional. Uh, and there was, this was early on day three. And Hibble said the team withered away at the turn. Wow. Uh, he, the, uh, obviously they figured some things out. They came back and finished second. But the uh, championships this week, next week, actually, May 26th through the 31st at uh, Greyhawk down in Scottsdale, Arizona. That's a sport that I would like to cover just for the 
locale Scottsdale. Yeah, for sure. But I think you got a window into why this program has been so good because it's one of those things where you're host of the regional, you're at your own, your home course, you know, you're a lot better than everybody that got sent there or most of the, most of the team, a majority of the field, you're a head and shoulders better than. So there are a lot of programs that you could just go into that day three to say, look guys, we know this course like the back of our hand. Let's just play it safe, lock it down, just get into the top five. Doesn't really matter. Head on to next weekend. And instead Hibble's like, no, screw that. We withered when we could have won it. He didn't care about top five. He wants to win the regional and then go win the national championship. And I think that just shows you that's that edge that that he's brought with this group. And they continue to be just incredible. And then we'll see it's what, two days of stroke play. Then you, you roll into match play, if I remember correctly. You have to forgive me. Golf and wrestling may be my two weakest sports. I think you're right. I think there's a mixture there. And that's what, that's one of the things that makes it fun is the changing of the formats. Hey, uh, we got to get out of here. Listen, uh, appreciate you guys as always listening to the all centers podcast. We'll be back next week and you can catch that one on all our shows on Apple podcast, Spotify, Google podcast, Podbean. That's our, that's our server. I think that's who hosts our podcast Podbean. Check them out or just about anywhere you listen to your podcast. If you have an Amazon-enabled device, just say, Alexa, play the All Sooners podcast. It's also posted on our website, allsooners.com. Just click on the player and listen on your phone, your tablet, or your computer. And, of course, all of our shows are posted on my YouTube channel, John Hoover Media. Check that out and subscribe. For Ryan Chapman, I'm John Hoover. We'll be back with you next week.